Hey, I am super excited. Uh, thanks, guys, for lights down, lights up, to where I can see faces good. Um, uh, and start the clock, and I think we're good. I'm 19 years old. Can't you tell? <laughs> when I was 19 years old, which was like so far ago, who could remember? I'm 19 years old, and God suddenly saves me. Out of the blue, no prep, no nothing. In a moment, he revealed himself to be real, and I got saved from what I can only describe as an extremely non-God life, by which I do not mean that I was doing horrible, evil things that everybody would recognize as being horrible and evil. In fact, I was living a life that I think most people in our culture would aspire to, literally. And yet it was filled with things that were not God's best for me at all. They were the things culture tells you are good for you, but they were not, they are not good things. I did not at that point in time believe that there was a God. If I thought about him, which was extremely rarely, it was that it was stupid for people to believe in him and they were weak-minded and that's what was all that was going on and that was my judgment. And I walked away and didn't have to think about it for a moment. When I got saved, within, it was just so dramatic a change. Within a couple of weeks, the entire trajectory of my life was completely changed. I began to pray about things that I had not even thought about, like the future. I actually ended up going back to school. I didn't know that I would ever do that. I had done a couple of semesters at two large colleges and thought, this is ridiculous. I got in straight A's. I, I, I literally didn't do anything but go to the classes. Didn't buy the books or anything else. Well, that's not entirely true. I bought a couple of books in the first one. And what I learned was, by the way, this is a great tip for the younger people about how to do things. Learn the glossary. The book is important, but learn the language. Once you know the language, you know, okay, never mind, okay. But the point was, is that I went there and I had not been a Christian at all in any way, shape or form and nobody would have said he was. And then all of a sudden I go to college and have lifelong dear, dear, dear friends and every one of them knew that I was a Christian. Every single one. It was so evident. And it wasn't because I was obnoxious to them or anything else. It was because that's who I was and it just came out of me and I talked about it and, and, but in ways that was attractive and so on. And anyway, bottom line, then I go from college to starting law school in Denver where we intended to live for the rest of our lives and made again lifelong friends. And by that time I was starting to lead people to the Lord in a significant way. And I'm talking about, I have, I have many, many, many friends who got saved because of God through me. Let's be really clear about that, right? But I was the instrument that he used to bring them to him. I'm sure he used others too, but I was the immediate cause. And they will say that to this day. They will say, I know the Lord because of you. This is now about five years after I get saved. I'm living in Denver. We're living a very high standard of living, and all of a sudden, things start creeping back into my life that I had laid aside when I got saved, using certain substances. I don't want to go into any more detail than that, but that was just one of the things. But there were things that started creeping back into my life in a way that I was still witnessing to people, and people were still coming to the Lord, but I myself knew that something was wrong and I didn't know what it was and I didn't know how to get out of it. And I was praying to God continually, what do I do about this? How do I stop? How do I change? What do I do? And then my brother, Dave Brunk, God bless him. I, I will, there are so many things that I thank Dave Brunk for, for the rest of, for eternity. But he called me the week before Easter and he said, there's more. I've just discovered that there's more. And I'm not going to talk to you about it. I just want you to read these scriptures. And so I did. And I went, I've never even heard this stuff. I was doing devotionals, reading the Bible. Just never saw it. And I went, oh my gosh, there's more. What is this? Now it's Easter. I put on my nice suit. 
Julie and I get in my, our nice car and we drive to our nice church where everybody has a nice car and a nice suit. And it's Easter and I hear a nice sermon. And the whole time, God is bugging me. And I had to ask Julie for forgiveness at the end of the service and I said, I'm so sorry, I know we have a brunch plan and I'd really like to do this and I will make it up to you, I promise. But I have to tell you, I just cannot get this out of my heart and I feel like I need to act on this. So I know you're not here right now and it's okay, it's no problem, but I'm just gonna drop you off at home and I'm gonna go to this church that I, that I saw literally on the wrong side of the tracks, literally on the wrong side of the tracks. And I drove down there and it was a large church like the church I went to and I went up into the balcony and I, stood, I sat at the very back of it because that's where I like to sit, always have, I assume always will. Maybe God will change that too. But I sat at the very back of the auditorium, and as the worship ended, which was good, but you know, I sat down, and a guy came walking in who was obviously homeless, and he sat down next to me. And when he sat down, right next to me, this plume of body odor and urine and alcohol and tobacco and this, this plume, literally, of smoke, just came off of him, and I smelt it, and instead of having a negative reaction, I looked around that building, and I saw every economic strata, from rich to very poor. I saw every ethnic represented in large segments, not token. And I saw every culture, I saw every color of hair and every kind of hair and every, 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 every you could see. And I looked at this church of this incredible mix of people and I said to myself, this is what church is supposed to look like. Now at the end of the sermon, which was a great sermon, the person gave an altar call and the altar call was first for salvation and second for anybody who had fallen away to reconnect and third for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is why I was there. And so I went down, and we were in front of the altar, and then they took us out a side door, and they took us downstairs. And there was a room, I, I believe it was seven people, but I remember everything very vividly. And there was one guy that was from the church, and what he did was he talked a little bit about some of the scriptures about what it was. The same scriptures, by the way, that David given me. Scriptures you're going to see today. And then he just said, let's pray. And we prayed. And while we were praying, and I do, not, I do not ever want to lay this out, that this is what needs to happen to you, because I believe that that was at a certain period of time, back when this was not normative in the church, and that God needed to touch people in order for them to understand, and now it needs to be entered into by faith. But he did touch me. And it started like electricity at my fingers on both hands, and it started to move up my hands in a way that was very, very striking to me. And it just kept moving as he was praying. It just kept moving and moving and moving up my arms until finally it just completely caught me. And when we got done praying, this guy who had his eyes closed, and I know because mine weren't, because I was going, what's happening? And I looked at, and he looked up and he said, you really got it, didn't you? I went, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really did. <laughs> and I don't know what this is. And he said, it's all right. God will get, God's got you. And I went home and I knew enough to know something, which was my wife was expecting to go to Easter brunch. And now she was going to have a lunatic on fire walking into her house. And I knew to tamp that down. But I couldn't tamp it all the way down. And she still thought I was a lunatic. But I came in so excited about what God had done, telling her that there was something more. And here's the key to it. At that moment in time, just like what happened in my salvation, the course of my life completely changed. The things which I had been praying for God to deliver me from, gone, have never come back. This was 1983. If they were going to, I think it would have been by now. They were gone. Never have wanted, never have even thought about it in any kind of longing way at all because the thing that God gave me made all of that seem so 
pale. They made what I understood them to be was imitations of the real thing that were trying to distract me from ever getting to the real thing. And so I rejected them out of hand and have ever since because it isn't what God is. God is so much more. And just like in my salvation, within a few weeks, I was fasting and praying for three days about what I was supposed to do with my life because I realized that I still wasn't where I was supposed to be in him. And sure enough, he spoke to me. Now, I've told you this before. I'm not totally sure that he actually did speak to me in retrospect years, years, years later, but it didn't matter because he knew what my heart was. And the thing that he said that I thought that he said, I did. And I have done nothing but ministry ever since. From that day, I went into ministry and even while I worked a secular job for much of that time and went to school and did other things, I was all about ministry every day, all day, always. Leading people in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, hundreds. Leading people to salvation, I don't know how many, but lots. God through. But I'm just telling you, and this is why I'm telling it to you, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was absolutely every bit as important to me as was salvation. Now, I don't say more because salvation is salvation. But baptism baptism of the Holy Spirit was not second. It was just later. And it was every bit as important to me. I have pastored this church now for 20 years. I used to tell the story of the baptism of the Holy Spirit all the time to the point that I felt like people who had been here a lot had heard it so many times they just didn't want to hear it anymore. And so I started looking for other avenues. But even then, it sort of started to decrease and decrease and decrease. And it finally got to the place to where seven months ago, I want you to see this, seven months ago, this is my task list. I live in my task list. Anybody who knows me knows that I I pray about what are my priorities supposed to be, and then I do those priorities as the Lord would lead through that task list. And on this task list, I want you to see it. You see over here is the inbox, and then there's today and next and scheduled and someday. Those are ranking and important. Inbox means I need to be working on this today. No matter what, I need to be doing that. And then it goes down to today, which is the next important. And then next is obviously if I can get to it and when I can get to it. And you can see there's a hundred and some things on there. I'm not going to get to all those even in my lifetime. But the bottom line is this is the very top one. You can see I've got some things. And I added this one back in because I wanted to show you something. In the, in the front page of this, there's three prayers on there. That would actually be higher than normal. I'd usually have two. And they're on my front page because this is a page I look at 50 times a day. And every time I see it, I want to see the things that God wants me to focus on in prayer. And what I was asking him was, when am I supposed to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because I haven't in a long time. And I just couldn't find, I was thinking it wasn't a sermon. I was thinking, is it groups or is it small groups? Or is it, what do I do and how do I do this? And I've been praying about this. And here's the deal. On that list, there's, a prayer never lasts on that list more than about 30 days. The average would be about two weeks. But at 30 days, one of two things has happened. Either he's answered it, so it's not on there. And that happens 90% of the time. Or the 10% of the time, things have changed to the point that that thing is no longer as important as it was, and it either gets erased or it gets moved over into the today section, where if I showed it to you, you would see another about four or five prayers, because I always keep the things I'm praying for faithfully down to a very short list, because I've learned that with me, I don't pray a long list, but I'll pray a short list. So I'm trying to get to things daily, but I'm trying to get to certain things all the time, continually. And what I had on there was baptism of the Holy Spirit for seven months. And then something happened. The first thing was reset. And what I realized was is there's a very different crowd of people here than there was just a short time ago. That God is doing this thing. And all of a sudden I realized there's a lot of people sitting here that have never heard this, what I'm about to speak. There's still some sitting here that have. And for you, I'm asking for prayer the whole time I'm speaking it, that other people would get it. But the second thing is, reset, but the second thing is, there were so many things. But last Saturday, I was praying with somebody. I was on the phone with them talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
They were asking me questions, and then we ended up praying. And as we were praying, the Holy Spirit fell on me and gave me an outline. I'm going to show you the outline that he gave me, because after we got done praying and we hung up, I wrote this down, and that's my email. You see it? Saturday, September 22nd at 1026. And I wrote that down. Now, there's one more part of it that you're going to hear next week. But I wrote that down right there, and I, per- I crossed out the person's name. But that never happens to me. He gives me what to say, but then I have to work through how and what, how it fits together and all that. I never have a one, two, three, four outline. Never. And last Saturday, God gave me a one, two, three, four outline, and I knew that that was what I was supposed to speak. And every time I prayed about it, which I have consistently since the day he gave it to me, he has said, don't touch it, don't change it, do that. Do that without apology, without excuse, without sugarcoating. Do that. So that's what I've done. That's what I'm doing right now. And then what happened was, Robert Kelly, God bless him, if you did not hear last week's sermon, you need to. It was spectacular. And we had done a preach call that very morning. And at the end of that preach call, it was not the same ending as what you came up with when you actually preached it the next day. And the end of his preach call, did, did not, it led me to believe that this sermon was still just a total one-off. It wasn't about Luke. It wasn't about any. It was just going to be its own thing sitting out there in space. And then Robert Kelly gave me the ending, gave us the ending that he gave us last week, which was this. If you really want to enter into hope, which is this thing of trusting God to do what he says he's going to do, as opposed to faith, which is believing that he is. What a great distinction right there. But he said, if you really want to enter into hope, you need to enter into the things of the Holy Spirit because the intimacy of the Holy Spirit is so deep that it will make you know that he is the God who does what he says he's going to do. Now, I want to say something to be completely fair. That is something we talked about in that sermon when we were doing the sermon run-through and we discussed that. But I did not know that that was going to be his ending and it's his sermon and I didn't know what he was going to do. We just talked about various thoughts about it that he then put together the sermon that he gave. But when I heard his ending last week, I went, oh my gosh, there it is. The tee off. But let's just keep going just to show you that God might actually think this is important to do right now. Who's the person, the number one person that we've been studying for the last two weeks in our soap readings? What's his name? Anybody know? We're in Exodus, Moses. But Moses has been, ta- been being talked to God about who? Nobody knows this? Two weeks. What? Bezalel, the first person who's ever said to be filled with the Spirit in Scripture. We've been looking at him for two weeks. So, I think maybe this is important. I think maybe God wants this to be a moment. I'm going to tell you it's much more than a sermon. When we talk about Reset being about reestablishing foundations... Besides salvation, this is the next most important foundation that we can lay. Period. So we're going to do that today. And I want you to be expectant. I want you to be expectant that God is going to move and do what he wants to do in the way that he wants to do it. So with that in mind, Darren, I just adore you. What a a tremendous person, God, couple, frankly, that God has added to our body. And when I looked around and said, who should pray for this? I don't even know why, but you seem like the man. So would you pray for the sermon and would you lift up another church too? Thank you. Uh, Father God, forgive me for being uh, tasteless and lukewarm. Give Kurt the strength and the courage and the wisdom to seek life and salt and light into the room to our hearts give us your hearts and your eyes thank you for being at the right hand of the father telling him that I'm with you that's the YWAM churches around the world thank you Jesus supernatural healing supernatural resources to do your work thank Thank you Lord again for allowing us to meet out in the open and praise your name. Amen.
Thank you, Darren. Love you. Love the YWAM too. As I've already said, and we're going to do this, we're just going to march right through it, clearly, succinctly. Don't even take that long. First person in the Bible that's ever said to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, or not, excuse me, not baptized, filled with the Spirit. There's a difference between filled with the Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit, but it's only in who's being empowered. The empowerment itself is no different from Old Testament to New, and I want you to see that this starts at the very beginning of Scripture. Now, Bezalel is the first one said to be filled with the Spirit, but he is not the first person to be filled with the Spirit. But we're going to start with him because God started with him to say this, and I think that there's a reason why, which I'm going to show you. Moses right now is up on the mountain, Mount Sinai. He's led the people out of Egypt. He's on the mountain. There's a cloud surrounding the mountain with lightning and thunder. Nobody can approach it. They're all down here. He's up there 40 days, and God's telling him how to do, what to do. All of the laws, the regulations, etc., for the priests and everything else, and to build the tabernacle. That's what we've been looking at for the last two weeks. Tables and all this kind of stuff. And the bottom line is, is that he gets to a certain place, and he says, I want you to build a tabernacle, and then he said to Moses, God did. Look, I have specifically chosen Bezalel, the son of Uri, the grandson of Ur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in all of crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in the working with gold, silver, and bronze. He is skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. And then he says, and I've skipped a little bit in here, but then he starts talking about, and I've given him certain people to help him which he is apparently also anointing with the Holy Spirit. But what he says is, he, they, must make everything as I have commanded. Why? Think about it. The Israelites who are coming out of Egypt at this point in time do not know who God is. They have some stories about Abraham and some promised land, but they're 400 years away from that. And what they are is in Egypt, being Egyptians, essentially, Israelites inside of the Egyptian culture. And what has happened is they don't know who God is at all. He hasn't been doing anything. And now he's going to do something. And one of the things he's going to do is to have a tabernacle be built. And as people look at that tabernacle, every single thing about it, its dimensions, its materials, its construction, everything about it is going to communicate things about God. They're going to be able to look at the tabernacle and know more deeply who God is is from the holy of holy that perfectly cubed thing to the kinds of materials if you want to see, i think the best that's ever been done by this on this is beth moore about the tabernacle she goes into all of the meaning that you can get out of this and let's be clear the israelites got that meaning this wasn't an abstract for them they understood what this was trying to communicate the sacrifice of the leathers and the all of this it was it's incredible but here's the key and this is why I think God needed to do this one first in the Bible, to say it first. The key to it is he's a master craftsman, a master at every craft. He is already extremely gifted in the things that he's being asked to do. He could do them without an anointing. Do you see it? He is skilled enough to do the work. But the problem is it wouldn't be done the way that God wanted. It wouldn't be done in a way that would communicate God. It would simply communicate Bezalel and his great gifts because it wouldn't be according to the pattern of heaven, which would then resonate in our hearts as true and cause us to know God better. In order to have that happen, you have to be filled with the Spirit of God, which is to say this, and this is true for us right now, I hope you are gifted in something magnificently. If God is asking you to do something in your area of magnificent gifting, you need to be really careful that you don't do it in your own strength, but that you do it in His, that you let Him move through you. In a certain sense, it's easier for a person who's not gifted because it's so clear to them that the thing that they're doing is not them but God. Having said that, it is also wonderful when somebody who is deeply gifted will bend their knee, humble themselves, and do as they are being led rather than as they would choose to do themselves. Do you see it? Now that is the prime thing you have to know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
it is a thing of humbling. No matter how gifted, no matter how capable, no matter how anything that you are, baptism of the Holy Spirit is about recognizing that he is infinitely more and that if you are ever to do precisely and exactly what he wants you to do, you are going to have to become emptied. I must decrease that he might fill me evermore to do his will evermore. See it? That's why I think it's the first way he says it. But then he goes into another one that is just equally as cool and equally as important. Because after this, we see Moses is going, this is getting to be too much, God. There's a million plus people here, maybe even over two million. There's a bunch of people here and I'm the judge? I'm it? This is getting way out of control. I can't do this anymore. So God tells him to do something and we're going to look at what he does from what God tells him to do. So Moses gathered 70 men of the elders of the people, as God told him to do, and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. Now, I want you to think about that for a second, okay? Is that there's, a, there's like a, a pie, and what God did was is he came and he took a slice or 70 slices out of Moses' pie, and he moved it over so that they had some of the pie, and Moses had some still, but he had had less. Is that what happened? Or is it like fire? That Moses was on fire, and God took fire and then put it on other people so that this fire was not diminished, but this, and these fires were just as great. Do you see it? And by the way, that fits in nicely with what actually happened at the day of Pentecost. 1,500 years after this. The Bible is the coolest book ever written in the history of mankind. And this is just but one example of how cool it is. Because there's no other book in the history of mankind, not even remotely close, where 1,500 years ago, a thing was said and done, which 1,500 years later is fulfilled in a way that is phenomenal. There is no such thing except scripture. That's the only book in the world like this. Only. And watch what happens here. This is 1,500 years later. The disciples are now in the upper room. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Wind and Holy Spirit always, not always, but often linked. Because the Holy Spirit is like the wind. Who can capture and contain it or tell me what it is exactly? You just know its effects. So it's the wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and listen to this, and divided tongues as of 1,500 years later, God is doing the same thing that he did there, here. And you want to know how cool this is? Watch this. Divided tongues and fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. But now watch this. This story back with Moses goes on. Two men, Eldad and Medad, had stayed behind in the camp. They were listed among the 70 elders. There were 68 there and two that weren't. But they had not gone out to the tabernacle. Yet the Spirit rested upon them as well. So they prophesied there in the camp. Come next week if you want to know what that means. A young man ran and reported to Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who'd been Moses' assistant since his youth, and by the way, who eventually did get it right, but got it very wrong here. He's saying, they're not of us. Stop them from doing that. This is a problem. This is only us. <laughs> Moses, who except for the time that he struck the rock twice, always got it right. Got it so right right here. And here's what he says. Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them all. Which is exactly what happens in the day of Pentecost. 1,500 years later, this is now available to every person that wants it. See it? Oh, man. This is the coolest stuff ever. <laughs> The Old Testament goes on and on and on. People will think, oh, well, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's only for the New Testament. And technically, yes, the baptism is. Always remember, the, different, the empowerment, the anointing, the filling of the Spirit is the same from the Old Testament to the New. Same exact thing. The only difference between Old and New is who's being, who the Holy Spirit's coming upon. 
In the New Testament, he's coming upon new creatures. So it's a baptism, which typically, which actually means pickled. And what it means is inside and out. You've been changed inside and now you're being changed from the outside. So you're completely changed. That's my testimony that I started with. By the way, when I say that, do not misunderstand me. Every single person who has accepted Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit inside of them. If they have not, if they have not been made new by the Holy Spirit, they are not a Christian. So don't ever let anybody tell you until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you don't have the fullness of the Spirit or you don't have the Spirit. You do. But there is something else, and I'm going to show it to you again. I'm going to show it to you anew. But the thing that I want you to see right now is in the Old Testament, you got judges where every single judge, here's what happened. Here's, here's, what, the, here's what judges is. And here's what it is. The people get delivered and they're doing pretty good. And in their prosperity, they fall away from God. And then it ends up being pretty sucky for them and they cry out to God. And so he anoints somebody, empowers them, fills them with the Holy Spirit. And it literally says it in Judges every single time. So he filled that judge with the Holy Spirit. And that judge then is empowered by God to go out and deliver the people from whatever it is that's coming against them. It happens over and over and over again. Judges, that's what the whole book is about. And then you go to kings and all the original kings baptized, or not baptized, but filled with the Holy Spirit for the task that they're to do. Moses is, or Solomon even prays it beautifully. He says, if you don't, I can't. Moses bends his knee, or Solomon bends his knee beautifully. And the prophets, everyone where we know their backstory, every single one, how did they prophesy? The Holy Spirit came upon, the Holy Spirit filled. They spoke from an anointing. This is what it says. This is what the, the Old Testament says it over and over and over and over. So the difference is, when did Jesus become the firstborn on the earth of a new kind of person? When did that happen? When did Jesus become a new kind of creature that every Christian sense is like that? When did that happen? When? John's baptism. That is the way. I love you and thank you for doing that. I love you. It's not right. But, but I love you because that's what everybody says and thinks. When did Jesus become a person that no longer had Adamic nature? Here's what, Adam, here's what Adamic nature means. There's Adam and Eve, and they're made in the image of God, and then they make a choice. God has given them a garden and a good way, a beautiful way, a perfect way. And they say, no thanks, we're going to go a different way. And in so doing, they separate themselves from him. And that is called death because he's life. Now that's what they do. And every single person that's ever been born on the face of the earth, until one moment, every single person is born from that seed and has that nature in them to where even though God has said, I have this good and perfect and beautiful way for you, we all still choose, some of us more than others, but we all still choose, all of us to some degree, to go our own way and be separated from God. Every single person. Until when? Until there was a new person born again. A new person born a new way. Don't be afraid, Mary, Gabriel said, for you have found favor with God. You will conserve, conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called son of the most high. How can this be? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy and he will be called the son of God. Now he actually is God, but because of this birth, we call him the son of God. Do you see it? And the key is this. Does he have an Adamic seed being passed down to him? No. What does he have? God's nature, God's seed put inside of him that makes him a new kind of being on the face of the earth, a being whose nature is not to choose to go a different way than God, but whose nature is to go the way of God. He is the firstborn of that. 
And we know that that's true because we see the evidence of the Holy Spirit in his life at a young age of 12 years old when he goes off to the temple, his parents leave thinking he's with the village and he's not and they have to come back and get him. And so they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. They're saying one thing and he's saying, yeah, but what about this? You see it? Now that is evidence of the Holy Spirit being inside of Jesus at 12 years old. He is born again. He's made new. He has a new, different nature than every other person at that point in time on the face of the earth. But now here's what we've been saying. That makes him a different person, but what about the anointing? Even with this new nature, he did not go out and minister. Remember that. It's going to come back in Acts. Remember that. He did not go out and minister even though he had the Holy Spirit inside of him. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to talk him out of it. I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it, it, it should be done. I, NLT sometimes. It must be done. For we must carry out all that God requires. Now here's what's being said. Jesus is saying, I'm looking forward in this baptism to the moment when I'm on the cross. And I will take upon myself every consequence every sin, every decision someone has made to separate themselves from God. I will take upon myself all of their sin and I will become sin, their sin. And he's being baptized, washed clean from that proactively right now. That's why it must be done. So that's the water baptism for the forgiveness of sins, even though Jesus himself had no sin, but he's gonna become sin for us. But now watch what happens. So John agreed to baptize him, and after his baptism, Jesus come up, came up out of the water. The heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And John will say in another place, I knew what was happening because God told me the one who is, the one I'm to look for, the Holy Spirit will descend and stay. Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. So now when was Jesus empowered, anointed, filled with the spirit for ministry? When did that happen? Right here. I can't hear what you're saying. Lovingly, this right here. This is when he's empowered. And if you want to know, when, when he's transfigured, he's shown to be fully God. So that those three that see that know that he's truly and fully God, that he really is God. But that's not when he's empowered. The point that he's empowered is right here when the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And watch what it says in the Bible. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, you see the language now will go, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit, full of the Holy Spirit. You think it's maybe trying to tell us something? Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit. See who's leading his life now? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. He comes through that. Now watch what happens. Then Jesus returned to Galilee. What? How? Filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports quickly spread through the whole region. When he came to the village of Nazareth, his boy at home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet, again, what a cool book. Isaiah the prophet is reading 600 years before this. He's writing this, what he's now going to read. <coughs> he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it's written. The spirit of the Lord is what? For he has anointed me to bring good news to the people. He sent me to proclaim the captives will be released. The blind will see. The oppressed will be set free. That the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, sat down. Everybody's like, what is going on here? They are looking at him intently. And then he began to speak and he said, the scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Jesus himself is pointing at what has happened here. I have been filled with the Holy Spirit to minister. And note, 
even though he was quite wise at 12, he did no ministry up until he was baptized in the Jordan. And after that, he does nothing but ministry. Do you see it? Now, if this pattern is true, and the pattern is, Jesus is the firstborn of a new kind of person having God's nature, and then he's empowered, anointed. Then might not be the right word, I'll tell you in a sec. But he's empowered, anointed, filled with the Holy Spirit to do God's will, God's way. Just like Bezalel. Just like Moses. Just like kings. Just like prophets. Do God's will, God's way by doing it, by the Spirit moving through here. We always have to remember something about Jesus or we will never understand what Jesus really means for our lives. You have to understand that Jesus did not do what he did from being God. He did what he did as a man that was anointed by the Spirit. Because every one of us can be the same. Which is exactly what we now see. Because watch this. When were the disciples born again? Now, nobody should answer this because I've had to shut two people down and I don't like that. So don't answer, okay? When were the disciples born again, made new in God's nature? Think about it and don't say it. When do you think it was? Because most people will think the day of Pentecost. Well, let me tell you when it was. That Sunday evening, Jesus has died and resurrected. And that Sunday evening, the disciples are meeting behind locked doors because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. They just killed Jesus. They're going to kill us. Suddenly, Jesus is standing in a locked room there amongst them. And the first thing he says is, peace be with you. Now, what's he mean by this? He means, don't be afraid. <laughs> You're afraid of the Jewish leaders. And now suddenly, I'm standing in a locked room with you. So you're freaking out. Chill. It's okay. It's all right. I'm here. It's good. And watch how the language goes to give him peace. As, as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and his side. And now they're like, oh my God, this really is you. This is amazing. And they're filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And then he says a second time, again, he said, peace be with you. And this time, what's he doing? He's reconciling them to him, to God. Because he's died for their sin and now they can be reconciled. Sin's been paid. Now watch what he does, though. He breathed on them. First of all, breathe. What is that like? Wind? Spirit? Breathed on them? And said, receive the Holy Spirit. So that we're really clear on what it was that he was breathing on them. He was breathing the Holy Spirit. Now, by the way, only God can do that. Maybe that's not true. Maybe we can. I don't know. But he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now watch this. The same God that breathed on them is the same God that John tells us and the word was God. Everything that was made was made through him. And at the very beginning, there's this lump of clay. And what happens? Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's Jesus. He, everything was made through him. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils and the man became a living being. The same God who breathed into a lump of clay and made life, Adam, is the same God who has now breathed on disciples who were dead in their sins, separated from God, but have now been forgiven. And he can now breathe the Holy Spirit into them who have received his sacrifice, who accept what his forgiveness is, which is, by the way, the next thing he'll go into in that passage where he says, if you forgive the sins of any, you'll be forgiven. So he's talking about forgiveness. And what he does is that same God breathes into dead people who are separated from God and breathes life into them. Do you see it? Once again, removed by thousands of years now. Being fulfilled right now. So the disciples are made new. They have God's nature. When? The day after Jesus rose, actually that night. That's when they get the Holy Spirit. That's when they're born again. That's when they have a new nature, God's nature inside of them and the Holy Spirit. And for 40 days, actually 50, but for 40 days, they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And then Jesus says this, while he was staying with them, he ordered them, ordered them, 
not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you'd heard from me. What is that promise? John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They come together. They asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power, anointing, filled with the Spirit, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They already have the Holy Spirit inside of them. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power and then go minister. And then you'll be my witness in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And what happens? Ten days from him saying that, they're in the upper room. A sound of a mighty rushing wind fills the entire house where they're sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appear to them and rest on each of them. Peter then gives a sermon, which is God talking to them, to the people sitting there. And because it's God, not Peter, it goes inside of their hearts and resonates to the point that 3,000 people accept the Lord in that moment. Does anybody think that you can do that in your own strength? This is God doing what only he can do through a person because they've been empowered, anointed, filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I could go on, but I'm not going to. I could show you the rest of the salvation things in Acts. I might be doing that next week, I don't know. But I can show you things in the rest of Acts where this same pattern is being played out over and over. The one thing I would say is this. I know Christians that have been empowered before they got saved. Jim Hayford is one of them, but Prudence Clem, our dear Prudence Clem, who passed away just a little while ago, our dear Prudence Clem went to an Amy Sybil McPherson rally and got baptized, got filled with the Holy Spirit and only later became saved. So that anointing is distinct from salvation. This empowerment, this baptism, this thing that God does is apart from salvation. It's only called a baptism if it's on a salvation person. Do you get the drift? Is this, is, are we pretty clear here? Because I want to take you to where we're going to now. Empowered and running with Phil's Spirit to do God's will, God's way. The promise of the Father. What's he talking about? This is that Acts passage. The promise of the Father. Is he talking about the Holy Spirit inside making them new? No, because they're already made new. So it's not a promise. You know that thing you have, the Holy Spirit? That's what I was saying was going to happen to you. But he's not saying that, is he? He's saying something else is going to happen. And sure enough, what happens 10 days from now? Pentecost. There it is. Where did he promise this? Very interesting place. There's other places too, but this is a very interesting one. When did Jesus promise them the Holy Spirit? Luke 11. Teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Now, this is, a story, this is a story about prayer, but it's going to take a magnificent right-hand turn to get to where we're going to. Teaching them about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to them, friend, a friend, say to him, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. Who, uh, the person who's going to get bread, who are they asking for, themselves or someone else. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for other people. So I'm asking for bread for someone else. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, the door's locked for the night, my family's all in bed, I can't help you. But I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now that is a sermon and that is a good prayer principle. Keep praying, keep asking, keep bugging, keep going. And if you're doing it for somebody else, all the better. But you can do that for yourself too. But watch. And so I tell you, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I'm asking you to fall now. I'm asking you to prepare people's hearts right now. 
I'm asking you that these words would not just be words, but they would be life. I'm asking you that they would penetrate every heart from those who have never been baptized in the Holy Spirit to those who don't know anything about it, to those who have. I'm asking you, God, that you would turn these words into the living word, into the rhema, alive, living word inside of every heart, that every heart would be prompted, would be changed, would be led, would be excited, would be inspired to do exactly what you're telling us to do here persistently. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives faith. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. By the way, it's not faith, it's hope, isn't it? Okay. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? If they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, here's the massive right-hand turn right now. How much more will your heavenly father give you what you're asking for? Because that's what he should say if he was just following the thought through. But look where he does go. How much more will the father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Here's what he's saying. I love you. I am crazy about you. I have known you since there was a you. And I have done everything that it takes for you to come to me, for you to be made new by me, for me to breathe into you a life, a spirit, a new being, for you to become new in me. That's how much I love you. But then he's saying something quite different too. He's saying, but I also want you to be an instrument in the world. I want you to be somebody that I can use to do what I want to do for other people that I love. And you are my chosen instrument to reach them. And so he's saying, I'm asking you to come and beg me for bread. I'm asking you to persistently beg me for bread. If you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit before, great. Are you moving in it? Is it the energizing principle? Is it the energizing truth of your life? Is it? Because if it is, praise God. And when we're about to pray right now, I want you to pray for everybody else that they get what you got. But if you're sitting here and you, you know in your heart, I know I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, but, um, but you know, it's not something I really move in all the time. This is not what energizes my life. There's a lot of things and that's one of them or maybe even hardly one of them. And I'm saying, what a great time what a great time to come back for if I've fallen away. I want to be renewed. Not fallen. I mean, that's not the right wording. But if I'm just not entering into it in fullness, I want to. I'm begging you for bread to help others. Is there anybody here that doesn't have somebody that they need to be empowered for? Because I'm telling you, there's somebody who's going to hell. There's somebody who's dying of cancer. There's somebody who's dying from a relationship that has gone so sour that they are broken into a million pieces. There are a million people who need to hear a word from the Lord, who need to hear a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. There are a million people who need a miracle. There are people in your life that need you to be his instrument, that need you to be the carrier of the Holy Spirit to bring what they need. And he wants you to beg him for that. We're going to see why that's such an important principle next week. But I'm telling you, this is what he's doing. And this is what he wants. And if you are here and you don't know the Lord, what a great time to know him. We're going to see next week a group of people that heard about the salvation of the Lord. And the minute they believed, they were baptized too. If you're somebody that's here and you've heard about this baptism of the Holy Spirit thing and people have prayed for you and, and, and begged for you to speak in tongues and that's all they could care about and all that kind of stuff and everything else and you're thinking, well, something's got to happen like electricity in my arms or I just haven't been and I just don't know. No, that's not what's going on. What's going on is faith. What he says is his hope. You know that God is going to do what he said he's going to do and how much more will he give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Not salvation, empowerment. How much more will he give bread for people that he wants to give through them bread to another? Do you want this? I'm going to, we're going to pray. I did it with seven people. doesn't matter. We're going to do it with everybody right now, right here. 
What I'm asking you to do is we're going to read this, and I'm going to ask you to pray with me. I'm going to read a, I'm going to read a phrase, and then you're going to read the phrase. You're going to say it after me, and we're going to pray this prayer together. And I'm asking you, Lord, to fill this prayer with your presence and to empower people, to anoint them, to baptize them in the Holy Spirit. I am begging you, Lord. I am begging you for bread. I am knocking on the door. I don't care what time it is, and I will keep knocking until you come, until you come down because of persistence, and you pour out that bread that people will have this thing in their life, and not just have it, but use it, enter into it, move in it, grow in it, become fully and completely this thing, this fullness that you have. <coughs> so pray with me. Eyes closed, hands lifted, hearts lifted. God Almighty, just repeat after me. God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and the one who has saved me by the sacrifice of your precious son, Jesus, who took upon himself what was due me. Thank you for making me new, giving me your nature, for putting the wonderful Holy Spirit inside my very being to help me, lead me, guide me, bear good fruit in me as you make me into your image. Thank you, loving God, forever. And now, dear Lord, as you have revealed in your word and led by your spirit, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, now, Lord, now, Lord. Thank you, God. Now, Lord, empower me, anoint me, fill me with your Holy Spirit that you might do through me whatever you want. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Now, Lord, now, Lord, now, Lord, so that I become your instrument, finely wielded by you and you alone. Thank you, God, for doing this. You need to say this one, believing it, having faith. It doesn't matter about signs. It matters that you believe. I believe you have done this. Now teach me to fully walk in it. Jesus, in your holy and precious name, I just want you to sit here in an attitude of prayer right now and in your own voice, in your own choice, with your own free will, I want you to say, God, I am asking you to baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I am thanking you for baptizing me in the Holy Spirit. I have what I ask because I ask according to your will. I am asking you, Lord, to baptize me in the Holy Spirit completely, fully, and utterly and change my life because of it. Just pray that kind of thing in your own words. Ask him, be the person and knocking at the door, begging for bread for another through you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. Praise you, Lord God. Holy Spirit, fall. The Holy Spirit, empower. Holy Spirit, move in lives. Holy Spirit, even now, be opening minds, be opening hearts, be opening lives. Holy Spirit, fill. Holy Spirit, anoint. Holy Spirit, empower. Oh, precious Holy Spirit, love you, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and do that thing that only you can do. You who are already inside, and if he is not inside, what a beautiful time to say right now, I receive the Holy Spirit to make me new. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, we're praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm asking you, Holy Spirit, I just need to sit here for a second and, and, and stay in this. I need, he said persistent prayer. So persistently pray, persistence. Press in, thank him. Thank him that he has given what you have asked. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could you do this out loud a little bit? I'm not looking for tongues and, and too emotive of an experience. What I am asking for is verbal that you don't have to make it distracting to your neighbor, but I am asking you to speak it so that it gets into the atmosphere. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fall. We wait on you. We wait. We wait. And then we wait again. We wait on you and you alone. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Come. Come, anybody who's struggling with this, let them just release. Let them just open themselves to the Word, to the Holy Spirit. Let them be filled now, God, with your Holy Spirit in a new way. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Move, move, come, fill, bless, anoint. God, all of us, that the Holy Spirit would come on all of us. Holy Spirit, come and fall on all of us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. 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 Just thank him now. This is a time to just enter in by faith and just say, I have asked according to your will. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you. And now, Holy Spirit, show me how to move. Now, Holy Spirit, show me what to do. Cause me to rise up. Cause me in weeks to come, cause the entire direction of my life to be changed to, because I've been empowered by you to do your will. No matter what job I'm in, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm doing, I have been anointed to become your, your priest, a royal priesthood that God is raising up, anointed to do the things that God has called us to do. Thank him for being anointed for this. Thank him that he will take your life and that he will do this in you now and going forward. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And now, according to the words that Robert brought to us so beautifully, yes, I do have faith that you are, and I do have faith that you did. But God, we also look to the hope of what you're going to do, that you will do everything you promised. You told us in Luke to press into you to ask, and that you would, anybody who asked, how much more do you want to give? And so we praise you, God. And you've said to us that as much as you did, more than these will you do. Because I go to the Father. And God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, let that be the truth and the reality of this body, of these people, that we would go forth in the power that you went forth in from the Jordan, that we would go forward in the power that you brought to the disciples at Pentecost, that we will go forward, that we will go out, that we will be emboldened, that we will speak the words that you speak, that we will say the things that you say and do the things that you do, and that's it because we're doing it your way. In Jesus' most spectacular name, we believe this to be biblical. We believe this to be true. Just say that to yourself. I know this to be God's truth for me. If you are not saying that to yourself, you can't say that in good conscience. You have my email, you have my telephone number, call me. Do not let this pass without talking to me. You still have a free will choice and you can make it any way you want, but do not let it go because you didn't follow up. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, I ask you that anybody who might be struggling with it right now, I just ask you right now, break that. Break that bond. Just break that thing. Break that thing, Lord. That we should all just bend our knee utterly and just be so thankful that the Holy Spirit comes inside and fills us so beautifully. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, let it be the experience of every person here with Moses, we all say, would that all God's people would be empowered, would be filled with his Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, in Jesus' holy and precious name. God, we are a people of the word. We will do what the word says. We will live the way the word says. We will live by the spirit. We will live as led by the spirit. Like you did with Jesus, lead us into whatever we need to go into. Empower us. The spirit of the Lord is upon us to minister, to deliver, to heal, to set free the captives, to bring the favorable Lord to them. In Jesus' holy and precious name, God, 
Let us be this. We cry to you. We stay here because, God, we don't want to let one go. We don't want to let one be left. We don't want to lose one. We stay here because we say, God, every single person in this place today, baptized in your Holy Spirit completely and utterly. In Jesus' holy and precious name, the fruit so evident to come. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' most magnificent name, let us not be kooks. Let us be on fire for God. Let us live and work and move like Jesus did. Let us be your very embodiment. In Jesus' most magnificent name, thank you, God. Thank you, God. And thank you again. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Do we quit now, Lord? I don't think that we quit. I don't think that's the right idea, but I think we go ahead and go to the next thing. But in Jesus' name, we carry this with us in every way at every moment. You've spoken clearly and cleanly, fully and completely. Now let us enter into it the same way, fully and clearly, cleanly and in fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Reach down in front of you and there's two cups.